0: Katie. No, I'm just kidding. There's no Katie this week. But even though the announcer guys say, hey, there's Katie. And Dave, no, just David Littlejohn and special guest on the True Wealth Radio Show in studio. I'm not going to ask you to clap because if you're driving, it's dangerous. But no, thank no, no, you, Derek Simmons.
1: Derek Simmons. Yes, it's good to be here.
0: And uh, as you know, Derek, uh, pinch hits on occasion. We have a good time. He is one of our favorite attorneys in town. And we bring you in. So we sub you in when we want to either ask you questions to which it's easier to say, I don't know, or for your
1: expertise. Or if you've got a little too much self-confidence and you need me to poke you.
0: you Yeah, we knock me down a peg or two. Always valuable. Oh, wait. Uh, So we have got a fairly packed show today. I made an agenda. I know. An actual agenda. Things that we're going to cover today. So this week we're going to try a few different segments. Uh, I am going to go over the market a little bit because (gasps) it's very interesting and it's getting back to cruising altitude. Very good. Right? So that's kind of an exciting one. So we'll cover a little bit about where the market's at and what's happening. We are going to talk a little bit about how to make your money last through retirement today. Okay. So, this is, this is an interesting one. And then we're also going to talk about we have got a fun one. So, if, you're, if you'll hear about this a number of times today, but we will get an opportunity to give you a, a, a little bit of a preview of the content. This Thursday, we are doing our semi annual, possibly very most favoritist event that we do for our edutainment it's series. It's true.
1: Our wills, trusts, and estates workshop.
0: Exactly. So uh, you want to give what to our listeners. What the heck is that?
1: Okay. So this is assuming you fail to spend everything before you die. What happens with that? And also what happens with um, if you're incapacitated?
0: Before you die.
1: Before you die. Yes. Okay, because
0: it turns out death is a pretty good incapacitator.
1: It really is. It's very thorough.
0: Yes. Very, very thorough. So I'm also going to hand you this. Look. So you guys can hear. This is... Um, auditory proof of said agenda uh and i'm also giving you the uh the notes so that when we're having this market conversation you could say oh well those are the numbers you're talking about ah yeah so uh the The will and estate workshop is also really good. If you have not reviewed your will in a while, you're interested in uh, changes in the law, understanding things like advanced directive. Okay, there's one that people kind of go. Rah, rah, rah. Yes, uh, and so a rules about do not resuscitate. Okay, we've all heard these stories, so we're going to cover some of that a little bit of the why and then a lot of the how
1: dave how much are we charging for this spectacular workshop
0: well i have to say the value is almost limitless Ah. but what we are charging is probably an email address so that we can tell you when other events are beyond that this is actually free to attend
1: that seems like a really good price i
0: think it's a good price one because usually i understand that your business model includes Paying by the hour, it does. Okay, which I think is fair. Guys got to eat, right? And I've seen your kids; they're giant, so they <laughs> eat a lot. Uh, his his oldest has now passed me, uh, which is exciting. And you did you can verify because you recently were on a trip to visit. As it's true.
1: the The true wealth there is is demonstrated in the 6'3 kid. Right, it's so, crazy.
0: Congratulations, good nutrition and genetics. Uh, and all right, so we've got. Uh, well, there'll be there'll be lots that we're going to discuss on this one, but I encourage everybody to come. The reason it's free is because part of our mission is education. Okay, you'll hear this on this show a lot, and, and I should say, all right, i mean, uh, when I say our Little John Financial, our firm has a really significant commitment to education, conceptually, but also for our clients. It's not just hey. You know, drop off some money and we'll invest it for you. It's hey, let's understand how this works and how we can be more efficient and effective in our planning and our decision making. And the will and estate shop uh, workshop is a big, big part of that. Okay. Uh, and it's not necessarily for you because, as irreverent as this sounds, what do you care? You're going to be gone.
1: It's true. Right? You don't need a will, you're dead.
0: Yeah, but it is for uh, as as you <laughs> what reasons you don't get a will right. Right. Uh, reason number one: you hate your family. It's true. <laughs> so it's if, true. if you hate your family, don't come. <laughs> just uh, it, just revel in whatever it is that you've got going on there. But uh, if your family is something that you go, well, you know, they seem all right to me. This is one of the greatest gifts that you can give, is organization. So that those behind you understand not only what your wishes were, but where the stuff is and how to get it, get through the legal process.
1: So we're going to cover the terminology, kind of the basics of what an estate plan is. Yep. And... Um, there, there's probably one other reason you shouldn't have a will, but I'll be darned if I can remember what it is.
0: You're immortal.
1: That's right. Immortality yes. is a gr- great reason to not have a yeah, will. Yeah. If
0: you're not ever going to die, then this is totally irrelevant That's to right. Uh, so there you go, which means that for pretty much all of us, uh, at least non-sociopaths, this is a really good call. Uh, so that's the preview, but that is this Thursday. Now, I, I a lot of people will try to create the sense of urgency, like sign up, sign up. Uh, We ask that you RSVP if you want to attend, not because it's required for attendance, but because it gives us a headcount. We've actually had uh, the the venue that we hold it in maxes out around 32 people. And I mean maxes out like we end up with fire code issues and so forth because we host it at our office, which is over on Klein Street. That's sort of across the street from the movie theaters uh, in the same physical building as the Weston Eye Center right so that's where we host it Uh, and we've got a fairly large conference room that we bring people in but it does fill up and so it's not that i need you to rsvp because we're not going to let you attend but if we had overrun then we've been known to try to create a follow-up class so if we're going to be too full then we'll let you know and we'll try to create another alternative time otherwise we do these semi-annually right so about every six months we we do this right Okay, so it's not, if, if you can't make it this Thursday, it's not the end of the world. Just don't die between now and the next one. It'll be October ish. That's her rule. Okay, so on to the next uh, important thing that we want to talk about uh, today. On the agenda. On the agenda, because we'll get back to the estate stuff. We'll give you a little bit more, uh, you know, a, a little bit more detail there later. But I want to talk about the markets because this is a financial program, right? And wait,
1: really? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, so, I mean, it's probably a lot of variety, too, really. <laughs> uh, but uh, as we look at the markets, I don't know if anybody's paid attention, but if you if you were to listen out there, you may be convinced that the whole world is just going to hell in a handbasket. And it's just a matter of time before the economy craters. And yet, what we're seeing in all actuality is, the markets continue to work their way higher. In fact, uh, as of yes, today's close for the S&P 500, 2,907.06. Here's what's interesting. You know what the all-time high for that one is? You have a cheat sheet.
1: I do. Yep. And I should be able to find this. Okay, yeah.
0: so in the upper
1: left-hand corner, uh, Peak last date.
0: September, right? So what?
1: 2,976.
0: So so that was the start of Uh, 2976. Interesting. Where did you find that one?
1: It was down a couple lines. Okay, Uh 2940. There
0: you go. 2940.91 was the intraday high. The market. Almost there right at the moment. Yeah. So we are uh, right now 31 points or so from recovering our all time highs. Less than a 1% leap about from here to get to that level. And. That was achieved last September. So that ought to give you an idea just how aggressive the fourth quarter drop was last year.
1: Yeah, that was you know, I hated to enter updates to my personal financial statement. Yeah, it was really miserable. It was it was horrible and I watched it drop, drop, drop. But this the March uh March thirty one numbers were yeah. a lot more fun. Well to the put in.
0: first quarter of this year has been nothing short of a tear in the markets but this is a really good illustration of something that all investors should be aware of that it's easy to fall into this mental trap right this is the trap of absolute versus relative returns and where you set up your anchor point okay there's something called anchoring bias and an anchoring bias is when you set a price in your mind, and that becomes the point that you make all of your decisions from. Okay, so in in our case, what we're talking about is if you looked at your September thirty one values last year,
1: and that's my anchoring. And your
0: point. anchoring point was, well, look, this is the most money I've ever seen in my account. Woohoo! And then three months later, you get to the end of the December, and it has cratered by approximately twenty percent. And all of a sudden you're going, what am I doing, right? You know, what's happened? Uh, and, and I know this because we've had conversations in our office about what did you do? And it was not that we did anything. It's actually that a lot of computer systems got a little uh, you know, excited and started manufacturing some transactions that drove the price of the market pretty rapidly. So we had this uh, essentially, it, they didn't say there was a formal bear market because we only fell like 19.91% instead of 20 before we hit the very bottom of the market literally on Christmas Eve.
1: So it was bear-ish, but not yeah, bear.
0: Yeah, oh man, it was a cub for sure. Yes. It, it may not have been a full blown bear, but it was like a cub uh, and it was a pretty good sized one too. So you look at that event, you look at your statement and you're comparing everything to where you were as of last September. And then what happens is everybody looks at the next quarter, and it's not uncommon that you still have not recovered all of your losses, even at the end of a really strong quarter where it fell 20%, and then it had an, a 17 to 20% recovery in the first quarter. And you think, all right, I should feel pretty good. And yet, if you were measuring from December 24 lows, you'd feel great. Right. But most people didn't start there. They started prior to that, so they're looking at previous highs that are still higher than their current value. So your anchor point is still above your current portfolio value. Got it. And that can throw us off, right? And what it's doing is, what you are measuring by doing that is your absolute return. How many dollars are in my account? And something I think is very important that you should, in fact, measure, but it's also important that you pull out your other yardstick, right? Relative? Relative return. Yeah, it's not metric and and standard in this Which period. How
1: much I put in versus how much I have now?
0: So there's there's, there's a number of ways to look at it. So I'm glad you've brought this up. Uh, It's also percentage return and return relative to benchmark. Okay. Ah, benchmark. So I am investing in all stocks. I need to be looking at the stock market as my relative benchmark. If I am invested in all bonds, Well, it's kind of silly to compare it to the stock market. I'm really investing in a very different asset class. Right. Or what if I have a a rental real estate portfolio? Well, I may not have even worried about it, because over four months, who cares? The value didn't fluctuate in a material fashion at
1: all. So I'm guessing you have different benchmarks depending on how people invest.
0: You have different benchmarks. You have blended benchmarks for people that invest in both stocks and bonds. Right? And and we also have, and I think this is probably the the uh, perhaps the most important thing and something that every investor
1: should know, right? But you're not going to tell us right now, are no,
0: you? No, we'll take our Ugh. first segment break. It's I'm the worst, right? Uh, when you come back, I want to give you all what is the single most important index that every investor should know to benchmark performance. That. When we come back, this is David Littlejohn and Derek Simmons. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, your favorite Tuesday radio show you've listened to all day.
1: Top five for sure.
0: Top five for how many are on this program here? I think just one. Okay, we'll go with that. Top five, easy peasy. Uh, so if you are just tuning in, uh, Katie is not here today, but that's all right. We have got a uh, fantastic pinch hitter and uh, all-around great guy, attorney Derek Simmons, on
1: air. It's always fun to be here.
0: And I am. I appreciate you joining us, as always. Uh, we've been setting up a number of things today, not the least of which includes our very popular estate, will, and trust workshop coming up Thursday.
1: What time is that on Thursday?
0: It's 6 p.m., so 6 p.m. I'll try to be there. At, I think it's a great idea. Thanks. Uh, 6 p.m. at our office. It's over on Klein Street, 2435 Northwest Klein Street, which is uh, kind of across from the movie theater and the Social Security office and also. Uh, but uh, I ask that you give us a call or go online to uh, our, our social media environment. So gonna, like, go to Facebook and you can drop an RSVP in there. But if you go to our webpage, littlejohnfs.com, you can RSVP. And again, it's not that it's a mandatory issue. It's more about just getting a sense of how many folks are going to be there. One, so I can have enough uh, hummus and celery, because that's all anybody wants these days, right? I mean, they would not want cookies or any other goodies.
1: I think you're wrong about that, but okay.
0: Okay, I'm out of touch with our audience. Uh, <laughs> but no, So, yeah, if we provide refreshments, we'd like to have an idea to make sure nobody goes hungry. But the other is uh, because if we end up meeting uh, fire code issues, then we want to be able to reach out to you. And if we're going to schedule an alternative time, then we can. Right. But I
1: suggested that people just have to be forced to sit on each other's laps and then Dave was concerned for liability reasons.
0: Yes. And it was interesting that my attorney didn't pick up on that liability issue. <laughs> 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 so uh, anyhow, uh, when we went to break, though, we've been talking about the markets in general. And uh, I do want to kind of finish up a key element here before we get on to Uh, The next uh, we were talking uh, about indexes. Yeah. Well, we're talking about really how to measure. Right. So benchmarks and when you're looking at your investments, how do you determine whether or not your strategy is working?
1: Well, the guy that has the most wins. Right.
0: Okay. That is a way to do it. It's a really hard way to win because what I've learned is the game of more is very difficult to win.
1: It's true. There are some people that started with a lead. It would be substantial.
0: There are people that started with the lead, and the the rules of compound interest alone are really interesting. A side note to this one, which is fascinating. Uh, So our current president. I'm not. This is not political commentary. It's more about investment decision commentary. Right. Uh, I've heard different numbers, but I've heard as high as inherited two hundred million dollars to get started with the Trump Empire from his dad. Right. Uh, and then I've heard smaller numbers, too. But either way, uh, if you pick somewhere in the middle at, like, $100 million, which is a lot of money, uh, but even at $20 million, I believe, had he simply invested in the S&P 500 back when he inherited and let it ride and did nothing but just stay in the S&P 500, uh, the report is that his net worth would have been higher than it is currently reported.
1: Good to know. Yeah,
0: which is... A, a real commentary on how compound interest works.
1: So what I hear you saying is the S&P 500 is the most important index.
0: Okay. So you heard incorrectly, oh. but the S&P 500 is absolutely relevant to the conversation. Okay. Yeah. Now I, I like the way you're, you're teasing and prodding on this one, because what is the most important index?
1: It's got to be the Dow.
0: Yeah. So the Dow is uh, my least favorite, <laughs> candidly. It's not that it's bad, it's just so narrowly focused, because it's 30 stocks, right? It's 30 industry-leading stocks, and they are 30 giant mega-cap blue-chip stocks, and it's historically performed really well. they are 30 good stocks. But it's 30 stocks. That's not the whole market, right? It's not representative of market cap size, meaning market capitalization. You know, is these small companies, mid-companies, big companies... Uh, Money moves to different areas of the market depending on risk appetite, right? When you want safety, you go to really big established companies that pay dividends if you're an equity investor, right? Or you get into fixed income investments with high credit quality because that's the
1: safety. Okay. So you're saying the Dow is not the most important index?
0: Not by itself. I think that there are two things every investor needs to know about how you benchmark. All right.
1: I'm leaning into the radio. Yes. So So you can now tell me.
0: Compare apples to apples, which means if your investment strategy is a mixture of different styles of investment, you want to blend your benchmark from all of those styles as well. So So it's like
1: a benchmark smoothie.
0: It is. (laughs) It's a a great description. It really is. It's a benchmark smoothie. Okay. Uh, If you have, and the recipe is the same ratios that you're using. So if you've got uh, 50% stocks and 50% bonds, then your smoothie is the bond and stock, 50 50 smoothie okay and then you compare how did my returns compare to that index and you need to compare both halves how much did i make compared to and how much did i lose compared to because the other part of it is risk capture so how much of the upside move or how much of the downside move did i get and what the industry uses for that is beta. That's a volatility measurement if you want to get into the you know the, the nerd stuff.
1: I thought it was the one that lost to VHS a while, a while back.
0: It, that happened as well. And Sony learned that lesson, which is why we have Blu-ray. Oh. Yeah. And you can hear that story of the PlayStation and how they won that battle because they got smart. But we're not talking about that one today. We are just talking about the idea that you blend your indexes and you want to make sure that you're, you're measuring your risk-adjusted rate of return. But I still don't think that's the most important index.
1: All right, tell me what it is.
0: Drum roll, ba dum. Your personal index. Now, it's a really generic term if you've, if you've never heard of this before, but what it means in the financial industry is you've got a long-term goal that you need to hit. Okay, it's an income level that's going to make your financial vision achievable. Now, if you have so on the break, Derek, you tell me that your long-term vision includes. I
1: think the Taj Mahal. Okay, so living in the Taj Mahal,
0: lots of servants. So. Give me a sense of what kind of resources it's going to take to make that happen.
1: Way more than I am going to have.
0: Okay. So, you know, you look at that and say, well, I'm going to need to have $75 billion. Right. And then I go, okay, well, that's a lot of zeros.
1: Should I play the lottery for investment purposes?
0: Uh, That may be your option at this point. If that's
1: what I'm going for.
0: But the reality is that you could find a plan that says, well, all you need to make. Is 17,000% returns per year for the next 15 years, and that can happen.
1: Okay. okay?
0: And now your personal index is 17,000% <laughs> per year. Uh, we'll have a separate conversation about whether or not that's grounded in reality. Right. But that's how you would design a plan and say, well, what rate of return do I need to make sure that my financial goals can be achieved?
1: So I might back into that. A little bit differently. So instead of, where where do I want to end up? What do I want to accomplish? Right. Right. So maybe, kids through college mm-hmm. on their own dime. Mm-hmm. That's just my idea, and then <laughs> <Good> uh, idea. <laughs> pay pay off the house, okay. and then have enough income that I can uh, kind of mirror what I'm spending now. Right. So if I do those things, then I can back into how much do I need to save?
0: In in essence, yes. Uh, and there there are a few more moving parts to it that we consider. But at, in a very generic level, you want to get a sense of what is your long-term goal look like? And you can ground it in reality, as you Darn just it. described. And then what we want to do is also adjust those numbers for inflation and the amount of time that we're dealing with and then you can sort of test the scenarios to see well here's a high scenario here's a mid scenario here's a low scenario based on returns but you're going to come up with an annualized rate of return that you need to get pretty close to and the idea is that any year that you overachieve that that's a pretty good sign but if you underachieve that then you need to evaluate okay is this normal in the course of investing and my average return over a a rolling period of time is still above that that requirement, or am I underperforming in such a way that it's endangering my target?
1: Yeah, this would be stuff that I would probably decide after I retired, and after I'm living on whatever I don't I have.
0: believe so.
1: No, you think you do that now?
0: I think that well, in retirement you can set a spending goal based on the nest egg that you've built and based on your income sources, but I think that this is stuff that savvy folks take a look at before they get to retirement because it's part of how you design your investment strategy, right? It's not just here, check a few boxes in your 401k and this is what you need. Uh, early on, you can get away with that because the reality is you've got lots of time and so you're going to invest relatively aggressively for a season. And so you don't have to get that granular about how you're projecting things out. But down the road, you're going to say, I need to look at my tax disposition and I need to look at uh, where I, it, When I say tax disposition, I'm saying, hey, you want to optimize. So how much should you be putting in retirement plans at work versus personal? Uh, how is that going to impact my bottom line tax outlay? Is, am I going to end up itemizing deductions or am I going to take standard deductions? These are all coordinated efforts to maximize the efficiency of your dollar effort.
1: And right? I'm cheating, of course. I've seen how you do this planning, which yeah. is really helpful. Yeah. Uh, and I know that the... Um, inflation was not one I had taken into account
0: right beforehand. and and inflation there are a few tricks that you can sort of do mentally okay the long-term inflation rate is a around two to two and a half percent depending on the period of time it used to be higher but we've seen the last 10 12 years at historically low inflation and it's kind of dragged the historical averages down so you have to make some projections about whether or not we think the economy is going to pick back up to a uh, a more robust annualized growth rate growth rate or if we're in a, a more uh, well it's not I'll just call it a slower but still growing economy and you, you you kind of have to frame history a little bit you know we include the roaring 50s in that where uh, the United States was 95 percent of global GDP because everybody was rebuilding post-war which meant the United States had a huge advantage and became a huge player on global GDP and has gradually, whittled down is not because the United States is doing poorly, but because as everybody else rebuilt, they got back in the game and they started picking up steam too. And so our percentage of global GDP has declined because everybody else has gotten stronger over the last however many decades.
1: So you're talking about inflation.
0: So we're talking about inflation and we're talking about economic growth. And if we're looking at inflation as uh, controlled, and it may not be, because, you know, we have some other issues with Federal Reserve balance sheets and uh, federal government debt loads and so forth, right? right? But for the time being, here's what happens. There's, there's a little trick we call the Rule of 72, okay? This is how long it takes to double an investment based on a rate of return without tax consideration. So it works something like this. Uh, take the rate of return that you can earn, divide that into the number 72, and the resulting answer is the number of years it takes to double your investment. It doesn't work when you have returns above 72, because 72 divided by 72 is one. Well, 72% return doesn't double your money. But it works with numbers like 10. So I divide 72 by 10. It takes 7.2 years to double my money. I divide 72 by 12, and it takes six years to double my money, and so forth.
1: You do that, and then you adjust it for inflation?
0: Well, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a sort of a sneaker way to do this. If you divided 72 by 2, it's 36, right? So you could say my money's going to lose about half of its purchasing power every 36 years. What I do is I kind of round it down to 30 years, which implies a higher rate of inflation, but it's also a higher margin of safety in your plan. And say, well, if you're going to retire 30 years from now, then you're going to need double what your plan calls for in today's math, right? If we don't consider inflation, and you go well i got a 30-year time horizon. So i want to retire at 65 well if you're 35 then you need to count on double what you need but if you are halfway in between this is not really accurate math because inflation and compounding doesn't work this way but as a ballpark with margin of safety cut it in half
1: so can you on the radio see my eyes glazing over yeah okay just making sure yeah. so then what we were talking about though was your personal index yes and how does this where should we go with the personal index? The
0: way that we go is you can compare to all the benchmarks in the world. But why would you invest in all stocks in order to if if you only need to get a 4% rate of return? And stocks historically average between 9 and 12%. Why would you take on all the additional risk when you could basically take on half the risk of the stock market and still achieve your goal?
1: Hmm.
0: Okay. So what it does is it helps you determine how to invest. And it also, if you are investing in stocks and you're earning more than what you need, it tells you that you're above or below plan, right? So if you get way ahead, maybe you can move your retirement date up sooner. Or maybe you can spend more in retirement because you get ahead of the curve.
1: Both of which sound like fun.
0: Both of which sound like fun. But it does give you some context for where the numbers come from. Because if all you ever do is compare it to an index, well, what if the index doesn't get you where you need to go? You know, What if you chose the wrong index right out of the gate? Now you've compared yourself to something that had no chance of getting you to where you want to be in the first place. So ground yourself in some numbers that are relevant for your circumstance. That makes sense. That's what a personal index does. Okay. now this is the transition point at which I want to talk about one other thing, right? In all of this, how do we figure out how much money we can afford to take out of our retirement plan to make sure that it meets our needs?
1: And you're not gonna tell us, are you?
0: Well, I'll take a break <laughs> and then when we come back, you wanna know how much can you take out of your retirement plan each year without spending it down before you are gone?
1: I think I'm starting to figure out the magic of radio. Indeed.
0: So we'll stick around and uh, we'll cover that when we get right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Derek Simmons. You got true wealth on News Radio twelve forty, KQEA. This is KQEN Local Talk at four on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Uh, host David Littlejohn in studio,
1: Derek Simmons,
0: and uh, we're having a great time today, sharing all kinds of goofiness. Uh, you know, we've got our estate planning workshop coming up on Thursday, Thursday six PM. Uh, if you want to give our office a call, five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight if you can make it, we would love to have you join us. You can also go to online to Facebook and uh, you can uh, register there. Uh, we we ask that you register only because of fire code, right? And so, that's the deal. Because
1: well, the whole lap plan didn't work out.
0: Yeah, the lap plan was um, awkward. If you're not sure what we're talking about, you should just get the podcast. Right? It'll be available tomorrow at littlejohnfs.com uh, and also at five four one radio. Although, frankly, we're supposed to market by plugging our own webpage. That's what they tell me. So you go to littlejohnfs.com and you can go under the learn section, and we got, you know, we actually have every podcast, every radio show we've ever done on there. So if you really have lots of time on your hands, you could you could watch how this program has evolved over the last three and a half years.
1: That could be a long process.
0: <laughs> it, it, could, it could. But but I'd be impressed by your commitment. So uh, we've already talked today about the markets. We've talked about you know where are they headed. Well, we didn't talk about that. I will tell you, my, my summary looks like this. I don't know yet. But I don't know where else the money is going to go, because it doesn't look like there's a lot of other better options. I've looked at the cost of real estate. I've looked at uh, fixed income instruments, and I've looked at the risk reward rate, and uh, the markets still offer the what appear to be the most attractive risk rewards to me. Uh, that's not investment advice for you; it's just a, sort of a, you know, a editorial observation on my part. So uh, we'll keep watching to see what happens. Uh, but uh, it's, I don't know where else the money is going to go. And so if that's the case, then I would expect a grind higher because that's you know, where the supply and demand is likely to move things. Uh, As we are talking about investment returns, we've talked about uh, personal index, right? Again, check out the podcast if you want to review what we were talking about on personal indexing. And then uh, when we last left our heroes at the break, there was the discussion of how much money can you then, so you've made it to retirement. Have you crossed the finish line? No. No.
1: Not till I die.
0: No, that's crossing the finish line. So you've made it to retirement.
1: First, what is retirement? I would say retirement is when you don't have to work.
0: Yes, that's, that's how I define it too. You work because you want to, not because you have to. Uh, folks, A lot of folks will tell me, oh, I'm retiring. And I say, well, what are you doing? And, well, what they mean is, well, I'm going to start taking my Social Security, but I'm still going to work. Uh, to which I go, that doesn't sound like retirement to me. That sounds like workment. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so we want retirement that's collecting a play check instead of a paycheck. How much money does one need to retire?
1: Well, I think you figure out when you're going to die. okay, And then you figure out how much you're going to spend yep. between now and then. And then you, uh, that's how much you need. Kind of, yeah. And then, And then you're going to save some of that today in the expectation of some growth and some inflation okay there you go i'm i'm already to be a financial planner now.
0: i think you're a good 12 percent of the way there <laughs> uh, no, actually it's that that is the basic framework right it's you know what you've just described is the basic framework for retirement and that is uh so i tell people first look at your income sources so you may have uh social security or and pensions
1: you're talking about income sources in retirement so you're not working anymore
0: in retirement meaning non-employment income so passive income sources
1: so you might have 401k you might have IRA you might have rental property something that involves you not going to work
0: right and the 401k and IRA are interesting well let's 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 dissect those in just a moment but first um, rental property okay free cash flow from rental property okay that's income we like that okay uh, Social Security income. Right. I mean, so far, Social Security, while uh, solvency is questionable, still making their checks.
1: Still sending checks.
0: Yep. Okay, Uh, Pension plans. Okay, perhaps you were a participant in something like PERS or FERS. Uh, Maybe you were at a company that has a, they're less common today, but, you know, there's still legacy pensions. You've got uh, maybe it was a union pension, something like that.
1: And those just say when you retire, then we're going to pay you something until you die. Correct. So it's it's, it's not like a big wad of money like a 401k that somebody else inherits. It's just tied to your life.
0: Right. So I like to try to, in your mind, separate them into this. I have sources of income, and then I have a nest egg. Okay? And the nest egg can be things like your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457 plans, all those weird alphabets, right? And that money can have income associated with it you can invest in income generating assets right with those properties or with those types of accounts right so that income can be included in the discussion but in theory this is a pot of money that's earning interest so that's a pot of money that's gradually filling up with more and you're coming in and ladling it out
1: so you're starting off by saying what is my income regardless of the nest egg for the correct moment? And then you're going to do the same thing on the expense side
0: well and then on the expense side we're going to match them up so i know i have this much income and then i have this these expenses now is my income sufficient to cover my expenses if so high five right
1: that means you're never going to touch your nest egg
0: right it means your nest egg is for lifestyle purchases or it's for self insuring against catastrophic medical events right but that's a good spot to be you spend less than you make and you have passive income in retirement that exceeds your needs, nailed it, right? You're in a great spot.
1: Taj Mahal, baby.
0: Sure, seventy nine hundred
1: percent. Did we just say seventeen thousand percent per there's, year? There's annual, a lot of percentage. compound
0: annual. Yeah, tax deferred too. Okay, uh, it's an official number too. You can look it up. <laughs> uh, so you've got the uh, you you you're calculating your nest egg now, and let's say that you don't have enough passive income streams, so you're going to have to take it out of your nest egg.
1: Right. So then we have to project what's going to happen to that nest egg.
0: Right. And so here's the the, the tricky part about this is whether let's let's play the game as if you have zero passive income. So you have to fully fund this out of your your nest egg. It doesn't matter whether you have passive income or not, because in reality, if you have passive income, the spending gap that you have is going to be covered by your nest egg. So the math is the same either way, but what happens is I'm on the radio, I'm trying to paint this mental picture for you, and then I I get Derek's eyes to glaze over. (laughs) Because I'm going, well, remember, you already got this passive income over here, and now you got this other thing over there. And you're like, what are you talking about? So let's just pretend that you have no other sources of income. You just have this nest egg, and you've got to make it last for 30 years. Right. Okay? What is your well? How much money can you take out per year and not spend it down in 30 years?
1: Well, if we assume no inflation and no growth, you can take out three percent.
0: Three percent, but we don't assume no inflation because that's not realistic. True. Okay, so if we have inflation and no growth, it doesn't last 30 years. Then we we take out three percent.
1: Our rule of 72, and I don't know the answer.
0: Yeah. Well, then we yeah then we math it. Right, and the the problem is that it drops our distribution rate below three percent, and so now you're down to call it two percent even. Well, two percent of your nest egg, you know, it better be a pretty decent nest egg. And and well, I guess it better be. You or you know, better have tiny be expenses. Or yeah. you like you know, hey, think about hey, I've got t- tiny expenses is really the key because if I got a hundred thousand dollar nest egg, I can take two thousand dollars out. Well, if that's all you need for the year, yeah, those are pretty small expenses. <laughs> that is. So, that or you're going to need a mammoth nest egg, right? You're going to have to have a huge nest egg in order to make it work. So, that's not necessarily realistic, okay? Because then, even, you know, 2% on a million dollars, you know, you're going, okay, well, that's 20,000. That's still money. Is that enough? No, I need 2% of $2 million, right, to get to 40,000. And you're like, that's a really big nest egg. And if you think about what it takes to build that nest egg and then to ratchet your lifestyle down to that number, it could be really tough. Right. So if that's not the case, then what do we need to look at? Well, we need to look at what does it look like to invest this account? So now it's growing. Okay. So it's growing because I need to take out more than two percent. Well, we, we did, I, I did some research, uh, a, a colleague and a professional out there by the name of Michael Kitsis wrote a great article about this, talking about uh, the rate of return that you need and the rate of distribution that you can sustain. And in his article, he talked about a few of the basic terms. So one, we have a stock and bond mixed strategy. Okay, it's a so smoothie. It's a smoothie with about 60% in the stock market and 40% in the fixed income market. Okay, So that blend... Rebalanced once a year over the last however many years has averaged a little over
1: 8%. However many?
0: Uh, since 1929.
1: That's a while.
0: 1920, in fact. So it's been, yeah, it's almost 100 years of data.
1: So if you could count on a 100-year event horizon, you could have a little bit of expectation of
0: 8%. For the returns of the portfolio, but asterisk, we have a problem.
1: Did We didn't account for inflation?
0: No, nope, we have a problem that we didn't account for something called sequence of returns. Ooh, yeah. Now I want to explain what that means, but I believe we have to take our final break. Damn. So I know curses, right? So let's take our last break. When we come back, I still gonna we'll get you there. How much can you take out, considering sequence of returns? That and more when we come right back. This is David Littlejohn and Derek Simmons. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the last segment of the True Wealth Show today. But
1: the best one.
0: Well, it's certainly one of the most important as we are talking about how to make your money last through retirement, right? You have this nest egg, you've spent a lifetime building it, and now you have to figure out how much can I spend and not spend it all and while, while I'm still here, right? So you can spend your last dime on the way out, but but you don't spend a zero, okay? right? So and this, by the way, is for all those people. If you have one of those bumper stickers that says "I'm spending my kids' inheritance," this segment is for you.
1: <laughs> so you can you can nail the timing
0: exactly. Uh, so, because the reality is it's kind of tricky to predict one's demise i always advise it's probably okay to leave a little in the tank when you're gone uh just to just to clean up or get into the parking lot or whatever right uh but anyhow so we talked about the scenario as you've got a blended investment strategy where it's not all in the stock market, it's not all in the bond market, it's not all in real estate. It's a stable blend and in our example it's 60 percent equities, 40 percent fixed income. And we look back over a hundred year time period and we look at the rates of return and what we see is that uh, depending on how much you take out you may or may not run out of money. But what has been historically the safe point or the safe line in the sand? Not a guarantee by the way, but what has worked out best uh, where it's you've you don't spend it down to zero? 5%. Lower. Lower? Alas, lower. And, and the reason, it's 4%, ah. OK? Uh, 5 is not crazy, but, but 4% is considered the safe rate of return. It's also, I've, I've used this on the program for lots of shortcuts. Like, how much do I need in retirement? OK, well, if you're within five years and inflation's not a factor, take your monthly income need and multiply it by 300. There's your nest egg, right? And that's your nest egg if you just want to live off of the interest only. Okay, I'll never spend the principal, just the interest. Uh, If you're going to live off of the nest egg, you probably cut that number almost in half. Almost. Uh, But but the idea is 4% withdrawal rate is a safe withdrawal where you may actually spend down your principal, but it's unlikely that you will. Why is that? Because the sequence of returns
1: can really damage Oh, that's that term you promised to help us. Yes.
0: Sequence of returns means you get started today, and then in the next five years, do you have good years starting out of the gate, or do you have lousy years starting out of the gate? I'm a great personal example of this. I started doing the majority of my investing in 1999. In the year 2000, right
1: before the dot-com crash?
0: Yeah. In the year 2000, my retirement plan was cut in half. And then I spent the next five years even making contributions, digging out of that hole after the dot com crash to get back to where I started. So, you know, seventy percent losses and even with contributions. This is back when IRA caps were at two thousand dollars a month or a year. You know, to, now they're up to six thousand a year for those under fifty. But so you can only put two thousand in and uh, chipping away at it and it took years to recover.
1: Okay. So bad years, bad years. out and, of the game. And
0: then it happened all over again in 2008. Right, so you had another 50% correction. So two 50% corrections in less than 10 years. Sequence of returns for me personally, if I had entered retirement in 1999, would have been disastrous. Because I would have had my nest egg cut in half, restored it, cut in half again. If I was taking distributions along the way and not making any money, contributions. You'd be at well probably unlikely to be a zero but it could have been really damaging could have unretired me forced me to really radically restructure how much money i took out of them. so but that's really non typical but it does matter because if i had come in not in 2000 or in 1999 but if i had gotten started in 2009 okay and when i had a the nest egg the markets had already had their corrections but i had enough to retire anyway now the market for the next 10 years has expanded I could be taking out 4% but earning an average of more like 9 or 10% per year, and I'd have more money than I started, right? I could actually adjust uh, and, and take more out, or I could take a chunk out for you know specific lifestyle events. and So timing really does matter. And it's, it's frustrating as folks say, you can't time the market and rah-rah. I get it, but the, some people are luckier than others. And what you try to do is build a really bulletproof strategy where the numbers work either way, and then if you, exceed, you know, if you exceed expectations, it all comes back to that personal index, right? Right. If you exceed that, then you may have the flexibility to take some bonus money in retirement, as long as you keep grounded to a realistic number and you don't let your lifestyle run away. So 4% has been the historical safe rate of withdrawal, but actually 5% or even 55 in many scenarios has been more than achievable historically the question I have to ask you is which period of time are you in
1: yeah and I don't know because it we we don't know till we get there
0: right and that's the trick none of us really knows and so I always say plan for the worst and be pleasantly surprised if it ends up
1: better than that so if you plan for a four and then you get six for five years then you may decide hey I'm gonna go four and a half
0: right you could potentially shift to a higher amount or if it's or you know pick a percent and the nice thing is if your account's growing more than you expect then you're kind of getting a natural adjustment for inflation aren't you true so anyway well look uh we're out of time for the day if you are interested in exploring this personally feel free to give our office a call be delighted to walk through it with you 541-375-0898 otherwise check us out on thursday right 6 p.m and uh we'll see you there derek Couple of days. Yeah.
1: All right. Looking forward to it.
0: Well, uh, until next time, this has been David Littlejohn and Derek Simmons on True Wealth.